This is KPFA or KPFB Berkeley KFCF in Fresno and also kpfa.org, kfcf.org. It's 3 o'clock. Time now for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone on Cover to Cover coming up next. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money. Every Friday, happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. The shadows This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is August the 29th. Yes, uh, dog days. We come to the end of summer and here comes fall. I think of all the students coming back and everybody getting ready for school again. What fun for you all. Uh, I made a list last night and of course I've forgotten it, but there's so many things to do in Berkeley in the fall. Check out the uh, Berkeley Daily Planet. Uh, I kept the issue of August 21 through 23. It had, um, plethora of information about all the local um, theaters and bookstores and especially a lot of freebies, you know. If you're new in town in Berkeley, you need a list of all these wonderful esoteric things to do and see, you know, all the art and culture. Yes, who's the fascist who said, when I hear the word culture, I get my gun. <laughs> I'd like a little culture. It's been a while, you know. Anyway, uh, thank you for your kind notes. Uh, it is always good to have something in the mail when I get here. I Last week I was, uh, I asked the listeners what they thought my uh, youngest son would like for his 45th birthday. And by golly, <laughs> the funniest suggestion I got... It's from Lois, she says, Dear Jennifer, I think your son would be overjoyed to receive your latest book for his birthday gift. And then she goes on to say some other things. I tell you, folks, uh, I guess, oh, well, I just wonder, maybe I'm not coming through loud and clear. Uh, I don't know whether my um, children actually read me. Actually, they, they do, but they... Uh, they know better than to than to argue. I I I I think I'll send a little card to um Peter and perhaps he will he will then ask me what I'm writing. Uh that's a fascinating thought. Uh, anyway, I have the quote of the week. I decided that I need to have that every week I'm going to going to uh put it in calligraphy to make a collection, yes. Fifty two quotes for the next year. Uh this week, it was something I heard on NPR. I think it was night before last. Anyway, Terry Gross was interviewing a war correspondent. 
and uh, he had written the inevitable book on the horrors of the conflict, uh, the current one in Iraq. Anyway, um, it was, you know, the the uh, ubiquitous tale of, uh, what was that, um, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now, he kept saying the horror, the horror, the horror. The whole horror. Anyway, um, this guy, the guy who was talking to Terry Gross, um, is the photographer. He took the pictures, the photos of the soldier. I think it was Marine in Somalia. Uh, the soldier. I'm not sure if he was a Marine. Anyway, his desecrated body was dragged through the streets of Mogadishu. You remember the PR on that. It just took the lid off everything. Um, those photographs, uh, some people think those photographs forced Bill Clinton to bring the boys home and later to decide not to intervene in Rwanda. <laughs> I don't know if, if the photographer can take all that credit, but anyway, obviously this guy, the man who took those horrendous photographs, is suffering some major post-traumatic stress syndromes and he also... Uh, what is it has had decades of um, war. He he's finally figured it out. He's gone beyond the usual hand wringing and nonsense. Uh, learned the final lesson. It's uh, let's see. It's a quote from the poet Marion Moore. I've kept it since I was uh, a schoolgirl. Marion Moore wrote, "There never was a war." That was not inward. The war, yes. Uh, uh, as anybody who's been there can tell you, the war is within each one of us. Uh, you can make a joke of that. My favorite game years ago, uh, before 9-11, was I, I used to think I was being cute, smartass, when I said, I'm getting in touch with my inner terrorist, right? <laughs> My inner fascist, my goose girl, she's goose-stepping around, my uh, obnoxious, aggressive inner self. Uh, wars are not out there. They're in here. Anyway, Terry Gross laughed long and loud when he told her, uh, well, this is my quote of the week, my absolute favorite quote, he said. He told her, that he had figured out that men go to war so that women won't laugh at them. Now, uh, I think you have to let that one soak for a while. <laughs> Reminds me of Norman Mailer saying that uh, patriotism demands that uh, a man be ready to leave his wife and children at a moment's notice, right? Anyway, that goes to the heart of the matter. You know, uh, those of us who cannot solve our intimate relations, you know, find ourselves on the uh, on the line there, on the uh, battle lines. Now, you know, men want to be taken seriously. In order to be taken seriously, you've got to be violent. I remember during the, the wonderful period uh, we had a sex scandal. You remember Monica Lewinsky. I remember all the complaints I got for discussing anything so so oh, so belittling so so unimportant you know um <laughs> all that woman stuff 
Oh, the guys want to talk about wars, you know, something you can take seriously, something that is grand and uh, large in shape. Feminine things, silly little things like sex scandals, you know, that was beneath them. Uh, actually, I think the best example of that, I remember once getting a telephone call from a man who certainly meant well. He was very hurt because I had uh, I had put in the same basket battered women, that is, women who are uh, the objects of abuse, physical abuse, sexual, whatever, but, you know, the battered females in our world. I put them in the same category or in the same basket with men who were suffering from post-traumatic stress, that is to say, men who had been wounded and battered by wars, by violence. And um, this gentleman was very hurt because he did not think that he should be categorized uh, uh, or put in the same, uh, the same, what is the word, the same framework, frame of reference as a battered woman. It hurt his pride. Anyway, <laughs> I was thinking the other day about men and violence, a subject that we have not exhausted yet, and I was watching Norman Mailer explaining all of this stuff at length on C-SPAN, and he says, he says that in his case, it all stemmed from his being short. I guess that's the Napoleon, yes, the Napoleon... Uh, syndrome, Gertrude Stein is always writing about that. She wrote a poem about Picasso, yes. Would he like it, would he like it? Would Napoleon, would he like it if I told him, she wrote. Anyway, Norman Mailer says that as a boy, he had to fight the bullies and so on, you know. So he became a boxer and reminds me of my dad, who was also short, but he was barrel-chested. And, uh, you know, they develop... Uh, Good, uh, good offense. That's the best defense, you know. Anyway, what we're talking about here, or what I'm trying to talk about, is manhood. Always it comes down to manhood. Uh, George W. Bush has some problems with manhood. Now, he has a primordial struggle with his dad. You remember the other one, uh, Bush 41. George Herbert, uh, George Herbert Bush. Now, he declared, Dad declared, that America had kicked the Vietnam Syndrome. That was back after the first Gulf War, I remember. Uh, first time I heard that, I went through the roof. I was watching CNN back in New York, and uh, George Herbert Bush said that we'd kicked the Vietnam Syndrome. That was all in the past. It was all over with now because, you know, uh, yeah, uh, what was the line? Uh, Make America a man again, invade abroad. That's the way the uh, women against ladies put it, or ladies against women. It was a comic troupe. They said, yes, make America a man again, invade abroad. Anyway, uh, uh, Bush Sr. was back in the saddle, boys, you know. Uh, George W., I guess, is competing with his dad. He has to top his dad's act. And, of course, he said that he was uh, avenging Saddam Hussein's uh, effort to have his dad assassinated. Who knows? Um, 
It's all in the Brothers Karamazov. That's Laura Bush's favorite book, you know. Check that one out. The father-son struggle. It's mythic, this father-son thing. And actually, it's as old as the Greeks, probably much older, but the Greeks wrote the best play about it. I remember studying it in college, and, you know, the men made such a fuss and said that wasn't what it was about at all. Anyway, you know, Oedipus Rex, he's the guy, the king, the hero, who killed his father and married his mother. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, yes, uh, Freud. The warrior... The warrior, he's the guy who is always in a hurry to lie with his mother earth. Yes, such a hurry to lie with his mother earth. Sex and death, blood feuds, all that old mythology. It's just a lumber room of broken, broken backs, broken sad tales. Boring, 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 I thought. Well, I guess I still think that we know ourselves better than that. I keep looking around and saying, that's such old business, you know. Now we have psychology and neurology and, uh, you know, uh, we know all that. Uh, there's scholarship, so much scholarship, study, learning, and then I realize... I eat my reality sandwich. I realize the old reptilian brain is just too strong, too, too powerful. That brain stem down there goes back to our prehistoric emotions. You know, evolution just hasn't evolved, or at least not fast enough. It's a race, you know, between education and disaster. This cerebral cortex is just uh, so new. Um, some people say it's a tumor. It's on the tumor on the brain. Anyway, it is overpowered by our primal feelings and emotions. And there's no way we seem to be able to escape these passions. Uh, I, I think most people do understand that opinion is the death of knowledge. That is to say that our feelings, you know, our feelings are what count. We have opinions. We don't, uh, they're not usually based on facts. We believe those things which make us feel good. Uh, lefties are the same, you know. Uh, I was watching all the uh, nonsense about a recent sex scandal a congressman, a senator caught in the toilet. It made me feel good. You see, I thought, oh, ha, 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 we caught another dirty old man. And then I thought about that for a minute, and I thought, the poor SOB, goodness only knows what he's going through. Anyway, we will all of us just kill to think well of ourselves, of our opinions, of our, what is that, world view. You know, we'd rather be right than... than and fix things. Some people, as we see every day, will murder for a metaphor. I don't care if they call it God or country or creed or whatever the name of it is. They'll kill for it. Uh, I remember in the 70s thinking that feminism 
was going to change things. It was going to help us to understand some of the fundamentals, you know, the reasons, the radical reasons, the root reasons why we behave the way we do, you know, looking to our motives, you know, answering that why question. But it hasn't turned out that way. The gender war seems to be escalating. Everything I read seems to indicate that women are more endangered than ever. Uh, it seems to me, if my memory serves me, hard to tell at my great age, there was a time in my lifetime when sex, or let's call it um, sensuality, um, romance, I don't like that word anymore, Yes, just sex. Let's call it sex. I remember a time when sex could be called a comfort zone. A place where we went for security, for warmth, uh, even for affection, indeed. Uh, I don't know when that stopped being the case. Well, there's less of that now, although I, I am assured by some of my close friends that uh, that world still exists, yes. I know several people <laughs> who are living in what I would call that state of bliss, a happy relationship. Anyway, last week I was talking about a feminist writer, a tragic woman who died, um, oh, let's see, in 2004 at the age of 58, uh, the great Andrea Dworkin. Her tragedy has become emblematic for me. Her death is questionable, and some terrible things happened to her in her last years. Um, I think of her as a kind of martyr. She's one who put her life on the line, stuck her neck out. Sure enough, they cut it off. At the time, I thought, well, that's a no-brainer. Honesty is never a very good strategy for a woman. I mean, you know, you'll put your foot in it, girl. It is never an equal fight. As Sonia Johnson, the Mormon woman who once ran for president, pointed out, she said, the minute you um, attack the wall of patriarchy, she said, you, you knock down a brick and you just show them where to brick it up again. She said, this is not a good idea to attack. She said, it's better to build an alternative world. Uh you know how that is. Uh, if you challenge them, if you put up resistance, you will suffer. We know that. Uh, the um, what is it? The veneer of so-called civilization is very thin, and people who rebel can count on it. Uh, they will be hurt. Someone said that women once had influence. You know. They um, were in a position because they were, of course, <laughs> the weaker sex, you know, and because uh, it was acknowledged that they were somewhat oppressed, they could cast their uh, shadow into things and they could influence, say, the great, the great writers, um, the great Greek writers who wrote such wonderful feminist plays because no woman was allowed in the theater, right? Uh, I remember people in my mother's generation saying that they, they would prefer their influence, you know, 
to rights, to legal rights. Then, in the 1970s, women decided it was time to fight for legal rights. They had fought for the vote, the suffrage that was after the First World War. They decided it was worth, you know, having legal rights. Uh, Now, uh, people like Andrea Dworkin suggested, for example, uh, that uh, our civil rights, women's civil rights, were being assaulted by pornography. Well, you can imagine, I mean, they picketed the poor woman over at Cody's bookstore (laughs) as a tactic. Uh, It failed, but as a consciousness raiser, I think she had something, you know. Uh, She dared to suggest that, um, what is it, there was a war on femininity, let's put it that way, Uh, I was making lists last night of the women who've died in combat in Iraq. Did you know that 61 women, let's see, have died in this recent combat, this war, so-called, in Iraq, this, um, what is it, assault on Iraq? Uh, That's more than in any previous conflict. So much for equity. (laughs) Yes. Pretty soon we'll be, we'll be equal. We'll have as many uh, corpses. As the guys, it is so hard intellectually or um, to explain. I was trying to explain to a young woman the other day that equal is not the same. As she just didn't get that. She was one of these people who thought that we could have a 50-50 world. And I was trying to explain that while half the race is still responsible for reproducing the whole race, you know, equity uh, has to take a different shape. Um, the childbearing half of the race uh, has to be given, well, my father would have called it a handicap, yes, you know, play easy to the girls, give them a break, you see. The truth is, it's much, much more complicated than that. Um, in my world, in my feminist utopia, for every child, a woman would get another wage. That is to say, if you are a, a mother with one child, you get a double the standard wage in order to uh, support that child. Uh, And, of course, it escalates uh, appropriately, you know. (laughs) I I remember the first time someone said to me that he couldn't pay me for something I had written for his magazine, and I pointed out that he had paid the mail writers, and he said, quite calmly, nice hippie man, that... um, They had families to support, and I asked him what he thought my two sons were all about, and uh, he said, don't you get child support? And I said, yes, I get uh, $125 a month per child. That's a total of $250 a month to support two children. Uh, He was sympathetic, but he did not. Uh, he did not decide that it was worth his while to pay me. Uh, anyway, I want to get right into Andrea Dworkin, and I've wasted my whole whole half hour just introducing her. Uh, what I wanted to do was read a little book that she wrote. Uh, it's a personal, a personal kind of memoir called "The New Woman's Broken Heart." It's not a direct memoir. She calls herself Bertha Schneider, and it's this 
heartbreaking, heartbroken book in which she tells us kind of, uh, kind of obliquely, uh, well, no, really directly, that, um, she's had a rough time of it. Uh, let's see. I would like to read you just Bertha Schneider's Existential Edge. This will give you some of the flavor. This little book, The New Woman's Broken Heart. I don't know if anybody's, let's see, it's ancient. It comes to us from a little press in Palo Alto. Uh, shoot, Frog in the Well Press. Oh, dear. It's ancient, ancient history. Uh, you can write to me here at the station and... uh Let's see, yes, Frog in the Well, 430 Oakdale Road, East Palo Alto. I have no idea if you can still find this. It's just listed under short stories. Uh, anyway, Andrea Dworkin, uh, blessed be her name, writes, <laughs> Bertha Schneider, nearly 31, was too disturbed to have any friends. She was like all the other schlubs running around out there. Loss was driving her crazy. Loss was eating up her heart. Loss was defeating her cell by cell, corpuscle by corpuscle. Loss was the desert in which she was lost. Life had finally forced her to shake hands with the great democratizer, Loss. Bertha Schneider, lost, was at last, just like everyone else, lost. Her cycles of loss traditionally divided into three-year periods. A double cycle was six years. There were no half cycles. She had had several double cycles, sequentially. These she had put behind her. <laughs> she was in uh, uh, this current cycle, in the second year of a, a cycle, it had made her old all over again too soon before her time. At 18, she had been 84. <laughs> she drank Schneider's cocktail, drugs, sex, radical politics, mixed with a lot of banana cream pie. At 25, she had been 100. Marriage, the good old-fashioned kind, you know, with beatings and cleaning interspersed with the three-and-a-half-minute F, had done that. 27, 28, and 29 were her golden years. She was just a normal age, regular, the past sometimes welling up and breaking like blisters. One wipes up the ooze and goes on, reading books, watching television, taking walks. And, yes, she, she lists the names she was called. I can't read those on the air. Anyway, she was uh, not once raped or beaten in those years. And she had known that she would have to pay for those golden years. God extracted interest like a lone shark. You paid and kept paying and still he broke all your bones. One Yom Kippur at the beginning of her 30th year. God had written her name once again in the book of loss. Bertha Schneider. Let her lose everything. God had written it in that pedestrian prose of his. Rub it in, pile it on, let her eat cake.
the kind wrapped in plastic. God had scratched that in the margin, so... In her 30th year, Bertha had found herself bereft of milk, fish, and eggs. All she could afford was cake wrapped in plastic. Her teeth began to go. Her friends had already left. All secularists. And when it was writ, they obeyed. I think maybe next week I'll stick with Bertha Schneider. Bertha Schneider has come to be my alter ego. I think it's because Andrea Dworkin has left us. She has died and no one can speak for her anymore. She was a woman who did not compromise. She spoke truth to power. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. to join KPFA and become a part of the Bay Area's biggest independent radio station. Join for only $25 by August 31st to become a voting member of the Pacifica Foundation and support the news, public affairs, and music you love. You can sign up online at www.kpfa.org support or mail your check to 1929 Martin Luther King Jr. Way, Berkeley, California, 94704. Remember, the deadline for new members to join in this year's director's election is August 31st. So become a part of the KPFA member community now. You are-